Welcome to the Issues of Life podcast with Adam Davis, where each week we answer your biggest questions, offer a biblical perspective on the issues that matter most, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Hello and welcome to the Issues of Life podcast. And we are going to be launching into a new series today. It's December, and so now we are officially in the Christmas season. And so we thought it would be a good idea to maybe deal with the subject of Christ and specifically the deity of Christ and really just hopefully answer some questions that that maybe you have, that a lot of people have, at the very least, maybe um, just give you a little help in answering questions that maybe the world has about who Jesus is. And so we're just going to be going through some specific passages of scripture over the next couple of weeks and when it, when it comes to the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which technically we call Christology, um, there's, there's three passages that always come to mind right away. And they're easy to remember because they're all ones. John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. So those three chapters are especially helpful when it comes to understanding who Jesus Christ is. And all of them have some things in common. For instance, all of them talk about the fact that he is the creator of the universe. So we're going to start today by jumping right into a classic passage on uh, Jesus Christ, and that is John chapter 1. So I'm just going to read the first three verses, which um, many of us are probably familiar with. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So there in verse 3, uh, we already see in this chapter, you know, Christ was the creator of the universe. Or maybe I should be more specific, the word is. Because I think that's the first question we need to ask. Um, these first three verses say a lot about the word. It's a capital letter word. Um, so can you explain how we know the identity of who that is? Absolutely. So we're introduced to Jesus Christ in this passage as the Word, and this is unique to John's Gospel. John's Gospel is unique in a lot of ways. When you study the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot in common. Uh, A lot of the stories are the same. The miracles are the same. And that's why we call them synoptic Gospels, because they tell basically the same thing, but just from different perspectives. John, however, is different in so many ways because he writes much later than the other Gospels were written, uh, a couple decades later at least, in some cases longer. Um, And he has the unique opportunity to go in and fill in a lot of blanks and a lot of gaps. And he has a very specific thing in mind. When it comes to writing his Gospel, he wants to make it absolutely clear that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, so that people can know that, and knowing that, put their faith in him for salvation. And so John gives us some of these unique pictures of who Jesus Christ is, and one of those is the Word. And you ask, how do we know for sure who that is? Uh, The best way, obviously, is from the context here. We find that the Word was made flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that verse makes it obvious that when we talk about the Word, we're talking about Jesus Christ, and specifically 
um, it's here referring to him uh, before he came to earth and, and took on flesh. It's an interesting title um, and one, again, that only John uses, but I think it specifically refers to the fact that he is the superior revelation of God. Uh, when the time comes for us to get to Hebrews chapter 1, we'll see there that God is always speaking throughout human history, revealing himself. But he ultimately revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so I think calling him the Word is just a way of emphasizing the fact that he is a revelation of, a communication of who God is that we could readily understand and relate to. So knowing that Jesus is the Word um, really gives us a better understanding of verse 1 because we come to the end of that verse and it says the Word was God. And this is going to immediately differ us from other people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ but believe different doctrines about who he is. So this very clearly says that Jesus is God. Yeah, this is where most of the other religions and cults get it wrong is when it comes to the person of Christ. Most people have no problem admitting that someone named Jesus Christ existed, that he was a good person, a good teacher. They may go even farther in some cases, but a lot of people do not want to admit or claim that Jesus Christ is more than human, that he was, in fact, the Son of God, that he was, in fact, God. And it's put really plainly here. That's what makes these verses so important to our Christology, to use the big word again, because it is absolutely plain. The word was God. And we, we, we establish some important things about Jesus Christ, his eternality in the beginning was the word. So he was already existing in the beginning. He was with God. So we, we understand that his preexistence, he was in heaven with God. He was equal with God. And then his very essence, the word was God. And it's important that we understand exactly what John is saying. He's not saying that Jesus Christ is God the Father. It's not saying the Word was God the Father. He's saying the Word was God. The Word was the essence of God. We understand the Trinity is, is a difficult concept. We'll never really wrap our minds around it, but we at least know it's three distinct persons sharing one divine essence. So when it says the Word was God, it's saying the Word was not God the Father. He was a distinct person, but he was God in in the sense that he is the same essence. Yeah, and and the key thing to pull from that is what we're saying is he's equal with God, right? Yes, absolutely, completely equal with God. Which brings us to verse 14, which you just read a minute ago, um, that gives us a little more insight into Jesus's identity into his um, deity. It says, And the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I want to focus on the word begotten here, because another name for Jesus is the Son of God. And we're going to be talking a lot about that. In fact, that's the term that John uses a lot throughout this book. Um, but he uses the word begotten, and specifies that in many instances, and, and, and so to kind of contrast what we just said, okay, the word was God. He's equal with God. He shares the same essence. How can he be begotten of God? That is a really good question and one that gets brought up a lot. In fact, when people want to 
kind of tear apart the essence of Christianity. And they really want to debunk what we believe about the nature of Christ, the person of Christ. They're going to throw this in our faces. The Bible says he is the son of God and that he's begotten. And immediately when we hear that word, we think of someone who is born or created. And so that's that's one of the big ideas out there is that Jesus Christ is a created being. But that's not what the word is indicating. When we see the word begotten here, it's not the fact that Jesus was created by God or born of God. It's actually talking about his uniqueness. In fact, the word begotten that we have here in the text in the Greek means one of a kind. So it has nothing to do with the with the idea of being born into a family. Nothing to do with the idea of being, you know, even firstborn in the sense that we normally think of it in English. It's the idea that he is completely distinct and unique. He is one of a kind. So we have to get past, you know, what we normally think of when we read the word begotten. And that may not necessarily come through very clear in our English translation. That's why it's helpful for us to to be reminded of this. Jesus Christ is the one of a kind son of God. There is no other beside him. And even the idea of being the son of God, again, is not the normal way we think of a son being born of a father. It's the idea that he is of the father in the sense that he shares the same essence as the father. So do you think that John uses these words, the only begotten, to distinguish Christ from us? Because the people back then, you know, knew him as someone in the flesh. They knew him as a human being. Um, and so when, when John says Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, he's distinguishing him from everybody else. Yeah, it's definitely a distinction. Like you see even in the passage that as many as received him, verse 12, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Uh, but it's it's not capital S there, it's it's lowercase s. So all who believe in Jesus Christ become the sons of God, meaning we're placed into his family, adopted into his family. But Jesus Christ is the only one who shares the divine essence and is God. Um, so it's a, he's not someone that becomes God's son, because some people think uh, that Jesus Christ became God's son uh, at his baptism specifically. Right. But that's, that's a good point. It's a specific distinction between us and him and anyone else in him. He's the only one who can have that specific designation. No one else has it. And I also want to look at verse 18. I'm, I'm really throwing questions at you. Yes. Because <laughs> um, I, I really want us to, to get some answers that hopefully are helpful. Um, just to be as clear as possible and then show you guys what the Word of God says about Jesus Christ. Uh, so we come to verse 18, same chapter, a few verses down. And again, we're going to see the term, the only begotten Son. Let's start at the beginning. It says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So, here's my question. We, we know, we just learned that the Word, Jesus, was God. So, he shares the essence of God. He is God. He also um, is distinct from us. You know, we were learning from the only begotten. He is the Son of God. Um, but clearly it says here that no man has seen God at any time. And so, if he is God... Why would it say that instead of saying someone has seen God because he himself is God? So if Jesus is God, 
how has he only declared God to us? Certainly he is God. Yeah, so in this place, we are, we're dealing with a specific distinction now again. So in, in verse 1, we're seeing that the word was God in the sense that he was the essence of God. Um, but in this case, we're seeing that he is a distinct person, which is also indicated in verse one, by the way, because it says he was with God right. and he was God. So there is a distinction of personhood, but there is uh, a unity of essence. Um, so we're using all these theological terms, but you asked the question. So here we are. <laughs> so in verse 18, we're dealing with the fact that no man has seen God the Father at any time. And no man can see God the Father and live. That's a recurring theme throughout the Bible. God is a spirit, you know, um, and anyone who looks upon him won't live. We know of the, you know, the one specific account of Moses uh, getting to see God in some sense, but that was only from behind and he was shielded. And you know how that, you know, dramatically affected even his own appearance. Yeah, his face glue after that or yeah. glowed. <laughs> glowed the, the proper word for that. <laughs> Yes, we get our grammar lesson today also. Um, And people saw visions of God, but no one has ever seen God the Father. No one on this earth has ever seen him, and they can't see him. Um, And in that sense, he's completely unapproachable. Yeah. But Jesus Christ took on flesh. He became man, the perfect God-man. And in doing so, revealed God to us in a visible sense um, that people could see and touch and relate to. And that's the point of that verse is not, not, you know, to say, not to, you know, counteract what's already been said, but to make a specific distinction. No one's seen God the Father. Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to see God uh, in a way that we could not have ever seen him before. Because he is God and he's, he's taken on flesh so that we can actually see him. Yes. So he's God, but he's not God the Father. And so no man has seen God the Father, but now people could see God because he was revealed in flesh. There's one last thing that I think we should, um, we should talk about just because it's, it's mentioned here in this chapter, though there's a ton we could probably dive into about who Jesus, Jesus is and, uh, and the many names that John uses for him. But, um, I think, I think it'd be fun to, um, to talk about the word Christ because that's used in, in many locations. I can see it in verse 25, and then also it's used later on in verse uh, 41. Um, and in fact, in 41, it says, um, he says, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And often we use Jesus' name together as Jesus Christ. That is his name. Um, so could you take a minute and uh, kind of explain the word Christ? Definitely. Just like you said, a lot of times we think of Jesus Christ as a name, almost as if like us, he has a first and last name. His name is Jesus Christ. But that's not the case. He is, in fact, the Christ. And so it's best that we understand it as a title. And again, you pointed out in that other verse that it's interchangeable with uh, the Messiah. So when we say Jesus is the Christ, we're saying he is the Messiah, which means he's the anointed one. He is God's chosen one, the one that Israel had been expecting for all those years, the one who would come and fulfill all the promises that had been made, the the long-expected Messiah. And so uh, when we see that terminology, it's, it's good for us to keep in mind that it's not just a name. It is, in fact, a title, and Jesus is the only one 
who can hold that title. He is the Christ. In fact, John makes that point. Uh, the first time I think it's mentioned is verse 20, when John says, I am not the Christ. He wanted to make that distinction. I'm not the chosen one. I'm the one preparing you for him, making the way and pointing everyone to him. But he is the Christ. And so it's not a name so much as it is actually a title. John 1 is a loaded chapter. It, it shows us so much about who Jesus Christ is. It says he's the word and that he is God, that he shares the same essence, that he's equal with God, and, and that he humbled himself, he took on flesh, and in doing so, he reveals God to us in the way that we can relate to, in, in, in a visible way. And, uh, and John makes a clear distinction that he's the only begotten Son of God. He's different than you and I who can be adopted into God's family. He is equal with God. He was there from the beginning. He's the creator of the universe. And ultimately, he's, he, shares with, he shares with us the name Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, the one who came, who took on flesh to die for our sins and to bring us salvation. And, you know, we went through this so quickly. Obviously, we could probably spend a really long time just in this one chapter. But we just wanted to kind of hit the highlights, and hopefully uh, it has been helpful to you. And something you said in your recap, Zach, reminded me just how important it is that we recognize that Christmas is all about the Incarnation, that Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we're celebrating. Um, That's what it's all about, and understanding why he had to do that why he had to do it in the way that he did it, um, taking on flesh so that he could die for us as us and fulfill all the demands of the law and, and all the prophecies that had been that had been given and all these different things. It's all wrapped up in, in that simple verse there, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. And hopefully through conversations like this, you're getting to know Jesus Christ a little bit better, understanding who he is. And hopefully also you're being equipped to answer the questions that other people are going to throw at you as you take a stand for Christ uh, in the world we live in today. Because there are people who have the very questions that we've been dealing with today, and, and hopefully you'll be ready to answer them, maybe more so than you were before. So come back next week where we'll dive into our next passage in this series dealing with the deity of Christ. We hope you'll join us. 